The Birth of Forgiveness. There are moments that change the world. 1439, when Johannes Gutenberg invented movable-type printing press, although the Chinese had developed it four centuries before. Or 1821, when Faraday invented the electric motor. Or 1990, when Tim Berners-Lee created the World Wide Web. There is such a moment in this week's parasha, and in its way it may have been no less transformative than any of the above. It happened when Joseph finally revealed his identity to his brothers. While they were silent and in a state of shock, he went on to say these words, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now don't be distressed and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me here, because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. So then, it wasn't you who sent me here, but God. This is the first recorded moment in history in which one human being forgives another. According to the Midrash, God had forgiven before this, but not according to the plain sense of the text. Forgiveness is conspicuously lacking as an element in the stories of the Flood, or the Tower of Babel, or Sodom and the cities of the Plain. When Abraham prayed his audacious prayer for the people of Sodom, he didn't ask God to forgive them. His argument was about justice, not forgiveness. Perhaps there were innocent people there, 50 or even 10. It would be unjust for them to die. Their merit should save the others, said Abraham. Now that's quite different from asking God to forgive. Joseph forgave. That was a first in history. The Torah even gives us a hint of how difficult it was for the brothers fully to grasp the significance of this event. Years later, after their father Jacob had died, the brothers came to Joseph, fearing that he would now take revenge. They concocted a story, they said. They sent word to Joseph, saying, Your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers for the sins and wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servant of the God of your father. So, And when the message came to him, Joseph wept. The story wasn't true, but Joseph understood why they'd said it. The brothers understood the word forgive. Uh, this is the first time it appears explicitly in the Torah, but they were still unsure about it. Did Joseph really mean it the first time? Did someone truly forgive those who sold him into slavery? Joseph wept that his brothers had not fully believed that he meant what he said, but he did. He no longer felt ill will toward them. He had no anger, no lingering resentment, no desire for revenge. He'd conquered his emotions and reframed his understanding of events. Forgiveness doesn't appear in every culture. It isn't a human universal, nor is it a biological imperative. We know this from a fascinating study by American classicist David Constant called Before Forgiveness, The Origins of a Moral Idea. In it, he argues that there was no concept of forgiveness in the literature of the ancient Greeks. There was something else, often mistaken for forgiveness. There was appeasement of anger. When someone does harm to someone else, the victim is angry and seeks revenge. This is clearly dangerous for the perpetrator, and he or she may try to get the victim to calm down and move on. 
they may make excuses. It wasn't me, it was someone else, or it was me, but I couldn't help it, or it was me, but it was a small wrong, wrong and I've done you so much good in the past, so on balance you should let it pass. Alternatively, or in conjunction with these other strategies, the perpetrator may beg, plead, and perform some ritual of abasement or humiliation. This is a way of saying to the victim, I'm not really a threat. The Greek word sugnome, sometimes translated as forgiveness, really means, says Constant, exculpation or absolution. It's not that I forgive you for what you did, but that I understand why you did it. You couldn't really help it. You were caught up in circumstances beyond your control. Or alternatively, I don't need to take revenge because you've now shown by your deference to me that you hold me in proper respect. My dignity has been restored. There's a classic example of appeasement in the Torah. Jacob's behavior toward Esau when they meet again after a long separation. Jacob had fled home after Rebekah overheard Esau, resolving to kill him after Isaac's death. Prior to the meeting, Jacob sends him a huge gift of cattle, saying, I will appease him with the present that goes before me, and afterwards I'll see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. When the brothers meet, Jacob bows down to Esau seven times, a classic abasement ritual. The brothers meet, kiss, embrace and go their separate ways, but not because Esau has forgiven Jacob, but because either he's forgotten or he has been placated. Appeasement, as a form of conflict management, exists even among non-humans. Franz de Waal, the primatologist, has described peacemaking rituals among chimpanzees, bonobos, and mountain gorillas. There are contests for dominance among the social animals, but there must also be ways of restoring harmony to the group if it's to survive at all. So there are forms of appeasement and peacemaking that are pre-moral and have existed since the birth of humanity. But forgiveness is different. Constant argues that its first appearance is in the Hebrew Bible and he cites the case of Joseph. What he doesn't make clear is why Joseph forgave and why the idea and institution were born specifically within Judaism. The explanation is that within Judaism, a new form of morality was born. Judaism is primarily an ethic of guilt, as opposed to most other forms, which are ethics of shame. One of the fundamental differences between them is that shame attaches to the person, but guilt attaches to the act. In shame cultures, when a person does wrong, he or she is, as it were, stained, marked, defiled. In guilt cultures, what's wrong is not the doer, but the deed, not the sinner, but the sin. The person retains his or her fundamental worth. He, as we say in our prayers, God that soul you gave me is pure. It's the act that has somehow to be put right. And that's why in guilt cultures, there are processes of repentance, atonement, and forgiveness. That's the explanation for Joseph's behavior from the moment the brothers appear before him in Egypt for the first time to the point where in this week's parasha, he announces his identity and forgives them. It's a textbook case of putting the brothers through a course in atonement, the first in literature. Joseph is thus teaching them, and the Torah is teaching us, 
what it is to earn forgiveness. Recall what happens. First, he accuses the brothers of a crime they haven't committed. He says they're spies. He has them imprisoned for three days. Then, holding Shimon as a hostage, he tells them that they must now go back home and bring back their youngest brother, Benjamin. In other words, he's forcing them to reenact that early occasion when they came back to the father, their father with one of their brothers, in that case Joseph, missing. Note what happens next. The brothers said to one another, Surely we are guilty, we deserve to be punished because of our brother. We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life, but we wouldn't listen. That's why this distress has come upon us. They didn't realize that Jacob could understand them since he was using an interpreter. Now what the brothers have just done there is go through the first stage of repentance, namely admission. They admit that they've done wrong. The next thing happens after the second meeting. Joseph has his special silver cup planted in Benjamin's sack. It's found, and the brothers are brought back. They're told that Benjamin must stay as a slave. What can we say to my lord, Judah replied. What can we say? How can we prove our innocence? God has uncovered your servant's guilt. We are now, my lord, slaves. We ourselves and the one who is found to have the cup. That's the second stage of repentance. Vidui, they confess. They do more. They admit collective responsibility. This is important because when the brothers sold Joseph into slavery, it was Judah who proposed the crime, but they were all, except Reuben, complicit in it. Finally, at the climax of the story, Judah says, So now let me remain as your slave in place of the lad. Let the lad go back with his brothers. Judah, who sold Joseph as a slave, is now willing himself to become a slave so that his brother Benjamin can go free. This is what the sages and Maimonides define as chuvagamura, complete repentance. Namely, when circumstances repeat themselves and you have an opportunity to commit the same crime again, but you refrain from doing so because you have changed. Now Joseph can forgive because his brothers, led by Judah, have gone through all three stages of repentance. Number one, admission of guilt. Number two, confession. And number three, behavioral change. Forgiveness only exists in a culture in which repentance exists. Repentance presupposes that we are free and morally responsible agents who are capable of change, specifically the change that comes about when we recognize that something we've done is wrong and we're responsible for it and must never do it again. The possibility of that kind of moral transformation simply didn't exist in ancient Greek, Greece, or any other pagan culture because Greece was a shame and honor culture that turned on the concepts of character and fate. Judaism was a repentance and forgiveness culture whose central ideas are will and choice. The idea of forgiveness was then adopted later by Christianity, making the Judeo-Christian ethic the primary vehicle of forgiveness in history. Repentance and forgiveness are not two, just two ideas among many. They transformed the human situation. For the first time, repentance established the possibility that we are not condemned endlessly to repeat the past. When I repent, I show I can change. 
the future isn't predestined. I can make it different from what it might have been. And forgiveness liberates us from the past because forgiveness breaks the irreversibility of reaction and revenge. Forgiveness is the undoing of what has been done. Humanity changed the day Joseph forgave his brothers. When we forgive and are worthy of being forgiven, we are no longer prisoners of our past. <laughs>